Hello and welcome to this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast, coming to you semi-live from the southeast side of Indianapolis, Indiana. Now, last week, I talked about my Huawei phone and how it was like the John Voight car is no more. Discussed a little bit about Magnum P.I. and Murphy Brown, a couple of these shows that premiered last week. And uh, then at the end of the episode, I said I would kind of uh, take a look at the Indianapolis Colts season and their first four games. And, you know, you may have wondered, why not just talk about the Colts all the time? I, I had toyed with the idea of doing a podcast after each Colts game and sort of giving my thoughts on, you know, what the team did and how the, the different games went for the different weeks. And, you know, then I decided that I didn't want to do that. Um, it was just going to be, it's not that it would be a lot of work, you know, you, you, you'd, I'd probably do shorter versions, you know, 15 to 20 minute podcasts, but they would have a short shelf life. And the reason being because I just am not a, a daily podcast guy. I, I podcast weekly. And especially when you're talking sports, a lot of things change in a week. As a matter of fact, I'm recording this on a Wednesday and I probably should have done it earlier in the week, but I decided not to. And by recording on a Wednesday, it comes and I podcast, uh, do you know, talk about the Colts ahead of a, a week in which they have a Thursday night game. So sort of by nature of being a weekly podcaster, not being someone like a, an afternoon radio talk show host in the sports realm who gets to talk about this stuff every day, and has listeners who expect that content every day, then their stuff does expire quickly, but their audience expects it. Whereas when when you do things weekly, and even if you do a supplemental podcast, and this may be a supplemental, or it may be the podcast for the week, we'll just have to wait and see if I come up with a different topic, or if Ann wants to join me, because special correspondent Ann Adams doesn't really talk about football that much. She'll watch, but... She doesn't enjoy it quite on the level that I do. And to be honest, I'm not even sure that I've enjoyed watching it, uh, football with the Colts the last few seasons. But, you know, that's that's my team. So so by the nature of the weekly podcast and the fact that the Colts have a Thursday night game, some of the stuff that I'll have to say here is null and void if I'm talking about team news and, you know, what to expect against them, uh, uh, what to expect for the Colts in the New England games. So what I'm going to try to do here is just talk about the Colts' first four games. I'm going to approach the season as if it has four quarters itself, like a football game. The first quarter being the first four games that they've played. Then we'll look at the midpoint of the season, once they play games 5, 6, 7, and 8. And then the third quarter of the season will be games 9 through 12, and then the fourth quarter will be 13, 14, 15, 16. So I thought that would be a way to discuss the Colts and talk about them without having that podcast be immediately obsolete because I, like I said, I do it once a week and I've made that very clear. You know, when I've done the Sports Rants podcast, which I enjoy just talking about sports, you can you can ask my brother or my father or my father-in-law or my brothers-in-law. Yeah, I, I really just like talking about them, but again... When this is not a daily thing, sports is a daily conversation. So by the time you've talked about something, it's already outdated. Doing a, sort of a quarters review of the season is a way to make that 
a little bit different. So maybe there's a little bit more value into doing that. The Colts are one and three. You could very handily make the argument that they could be three zero and one, or one two and one, or one and one and three, which is what they are, or two and two. They this season could have gone a lot of different ways for them and. I think the first thing I want to address is just to talk about, I mean, if you're talking about the Colts this week, you've got to talk about fourth and four. I'm a conservative guy by nature when it comes to sports, and I, I think in a game where your team was down by so many points, just to salvage a tie out of that isn't the worst thing in the world. Now, the Colts, in all likelihood, being one and three now, being at the bottom of the AFC South, in a division that it looks like the Titans and the Jaguars, especially the Jaguars, are going to be okay teams, the Colts probably, unless they have some miraculous run in them for from starting Thursday night against the Patriots and moving to the end of the season, probably aren't going to be in prime in a prime spot for a playoff berth. That that could change. Things could go quickly. I, I remember one season the Colts started off really slow when they had Peyton Manning. He was coming back from a bursa sack injury, and they were just sort of this middling team, you know, around 500 or so, and then they ripped off nine straight wins and made it into the playoffs. That could happen with this team. I don't know that I expect it to, given the youth and some of the things that we've seen from the Colts this year, but it is something that's possible. But still, I'm looking at it for the first four games of the season, and this is a team that is one and 1-3, doesn't look like it's going to be in the playoff picture. So when you look at fourth and four and you think about either taking the win, taking the tie, or handing the Texans a win on a silver platter, pretty much, you're probably not going to have to worry too much about a tie and how that's going to impact your playoff picture. What I do know is a win is better than a tie and a loss, and a tie is better than a loss, and nobody wants a loss. So I, I sort of understand, you know, Frank Reich and comes from this Philadelphia Eagles culture with Doug Peterson where we're going to gamble and we're just going to kind of shoot the breeze and we're going we're gonna to be aggressive. And I, I have no problem with being aggressive. I, I really don't. I, I think you've got to do it situationally, though, and I don't think this was the situation to do it. And the reason that I say that is because the Colts – and maybe they felt like they were playing with house money. Maybe they feel like we don't have anything to lose this season. And, you know, so we're just going to go go ahead and go for it. And, and there are situations where I think that, that that would be fine. But the thing is, you're looking at a game that just has, has a little over 20 seconds left. You, you punt the ball away. The Texans probably aren't going to be able to get enough yardage to get themselves into good field goal position. And... I, you know, they didn't have any timeouts left. Even if you accidentally kicked, punted the ball into the back of the end zone and they've got it on the 20-yard line, they've got to get a lot of yardage. And they're, if you're a defense worth your salt, then you wouldn't let them, you know, play around on the sidelines. They'd have to throw the ball down the middle of the field. They may be able to get two plays in, and they may be able to throw a long pass down the middle, clock the ball, and either throw a Hail Mary or attempt a long field goal, depending upon how that goes. And those are very low percentage plays for the, the Texans. And also, given how 
good the, the Colts' pass rush had been in that game, and I know Deshaun Watson's hard to take down and everything, but you, you can't discount the possibility that your defense comes up with a play, comes up with a sack. And if the Texans don't have any timeouts, that would effectively end the game in that situation because you figure you punt, you know, that's going to take six, seven seconds off the clock probably. If there's return, maybe a little bit more. There's not going to be much time left. You're not guaranteed anything in this life, and you're not guaranteed anything in football or sports or the NFL, but you're pretty much going to get a tie in that situation. And again, the logic is, to me, win is better than a loss or a tie. A tie is better than a loss, and nobody wants a loss. I would have gone ahead and taken the tie and punted that ball away, mostly because of the field position that the Colts had there. You know, they had the ball in their own 43-yard line. With the amount of time that's left, it's not much time, but there is enough time for you to get a long pass over the middle, get downfield, and clock the ball, which is exactly what the Texans did. You're, you're pretty much inviting them, if you don't pick that up, to go and say, okay, you go ahead and take this game. We don't want it. And then, I mean, you, you just don't know. But then Frank Reich plays the timeout game, too, with the field goal at the end. And the kicker missed the first attempt at the field goal, but it didn't count because you gave him a practice shot at it with the timeout. He hits it, you know, the short field goal to, to win the game. And so suddenly the Colts have gone from a game where they were way down and came all the way back, tied the game up with 45 seconds left on a two-point conversion, and they won the toss in overtime, and then they, they just pretty much handed the Texans the game. And what, what I don't understand, and I, again, I don't mind being aggressive, and yeah, I mean, I, I do like that idea. I, I think teams, sometimes in situations, should go for it more on fourth down, but you've got to be smart about it. If you're going to go for it on fourth and four there in overtime, why not go for that fourth and two? when you were really getting close to the tech to the end zone and of course Marcus Johnson drops a pass on fourth and two or on third and two that kind of forces the Colts to take a field goal if you're going to play that carefully when you are really starting to get close to that end zone why not gamble there because to me that makes more sense to go ahead and go for it there because you've got less field that you're going to give up and you're in the same situation where you give the ball back to the Texans, they get a field goal, they win the game. Or they score a touchdown, they win the game. But the field position is much less favorable to them than it would be if you had gone for it than when you went on, on fourth and four. That'd be different. If the Colts were down, obviously, there, you go for it. If there's more time left in the game, I would also under... Let's say that there are two minutes left in the game, or a minute 20, or something like that, and the Colts face fourth and four in overtime tied. Then I might understand a little bit more why you would go for it on fourth and four there, because, yes, there's a lot of time on the clock. You feel like if you kick that ball away, that the Texans have plenty of time to get downfield. All they need is a field goal to win. And so so I, I, would, I would understand that. I'm not sure that I would necessarily agree with it, but I would understand it. I don't understand with about 20 seconds left in the game, why you just don't go ahead and kick the ball, kick it away, and, and let things play out. Make it hard on the Texans is, is what I'm saying. If the Colts pick up that first down on fourth and four, then everybody loves Frank Reich, and he's the greatest coach ever. And look at us, the riverboat gamblers that 
you know, are in, in the coach coaching staff. You, you know, I, I just, I don't, I didn't understand the sequence of events. The Colts, before they went for it, came out and tried to do the fake cadence type of thing. And then they wasted a timeout when they realized they were going to draw the, the Texans offside. And that timeout's kind of valuable, especially if you think you're going to go for it on fourth down, because we're looking at about 20 seconds a little more than 20 seconds left in the game. And you're going to need that second timeout because if you have two timeouts and you do pick up that first down, you can do whatever you want from an offensive standpoint. I mean, you you better not run the ball, but the defense is going to try to protect the sidelines, but you can rip a ball 20 yards, 30 yards down the middle of the field or up the seam because you've got timeouts in your pocket. And at that point, you would not be playing for a touchdown, obviously. You'd be playing for a field goal that would win the game. You've got to add Vinatieri back there, you know, the NFL's all-time leading field goal kicker, and things are going to be fine. So that's the first thing that I wanted to address is uh, fourth and four. You know, some people were comparing it to the fake punt, the ridiculous Griff Whalen play with the, the Patriots, and I don't see it rising to that level. I don't think it's that boneheaded of a decision. Because you you didn't look stupid, you know, you just went for something and it didn't work, whereas the thing with the fake punt just made you look stupid. The whole thing was a disaster. I, I wouldn't compare it to that. It's it's not one of the bonehead coaching moments in all of NFL history or anything like that, but I think for this team and given the circumstance and the situation, I think I would have just gone ahead and, and punted the ball away and made life harder on the Texans. And if you were going to go for it, just come out and go for it. Don't don't do the fake cadence. Try. To, I know you've had some success getting Clowney and JJ Watt trying to 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 go off sides and or encroach or line up in the neutral zone. I I would not have done that. I would have come out there, you know, kind of pretended like you were going to do the cadence thing and then run a play and hope that you took them off guard. Because let's let's be honest, the Colts were moving the ball really well against the Texans in that second half. They slowed the pass rush down. They had the Texans on the ropes. Those guys were tired. If I look at it from that way, then I understand why they did what they did. I just didn't under, I just don't understand why they went about it the way that they went about it. Because if they just come out, they snap the ball and kind of surprise the Texans without giving them the break of a timeout to sort of collect their thoughts and give you a few extra seconds to kind of catch your breath and everything and rest a little bit, then, you know, maybe I feel better about the whole thing. But sort of the, oh, we're going to do this 10 out of 10 times, we're going to be aggressive. Well, you weren't aggressive. Because if you'd been aggressive then you wouldn't have gotten up at the line of scrimmage, tried to draw the other team off sides, taken a timeout, then come out, looked like you were going to do the same thing again, and then run a play that doesn't work. And, I, you know, they said they liked the matchup, they liked Chester Rogers. I didn't. I didn't like the play call. I didn't like the decision and uh, the run-up to the decision. And again, you know, if you're going to be aggressive and you're going to go for it and you want to win the ball game, we're going to win the ball game then win the ball game on your the other side of the 50-yard line when you've got a third and two that you didn't convert and you have a fourth and two that's going to make life a lot harder on the Texans than handing the ball over to them on your 43-yard line. So that th- those are my thoughts on fourth and four. It sort of reminded me of the fourth and two decision several years ago where Bill Belichick decided they'd go for it on fourth and two in the Colts' own territory because he feared that if the Colts got the ball back, Peyton Manning would march them right down the field and beat the Patriots, 
And, of course, you know, the, the Patriots came up short. The Colts got the ball. They scored pretty quickly at the end of the game and won. So, you know, that, that those things, to me, feel similar. And, and Belichick's a great coach. Not, not my favorite person in the world, but he's a great football coach, knows exactly what he's doing. And, of course, the Colts have to face off against them this week. But, you know, it's it's not an all-time bonehead decision when you think about it. The Colts were whipping the Patriots in the second half of that game, and you understood it. Your more conservative nature does say, you know, go ahead, kick the ball away, try to make it as hard on the other team as you can. And that's kind of the, the philosophy that, that I go with. And you can't stand there and tell me, oh, 10 out of 10 times we're going to go for this when you had a chance to do it earlier in the overtime period and a touchdown wins the game for you and you're starting to creep closer to that end zone and then you're like, oh, we're not going to be aggressive here. But you, you do have to pick your spots. And fourth and four, to me, was not the spot to pick it in. So... Anyway, the the Colts' first four games have been an interesting mix, uh, although they all have sort of ended in the same way, except for the the Redskins game. They they lost to the Cincinnati Bengals, thirty four to twenty three. Luck had a pretty decent game, threw for more than three hundred yards in that one. Had a couple of touchdowns. Had you know sort of a signature bonehead Andrew Luck interception in that game where he tried to force the ball in, which. To, to Jack Doyle, and we saw this happen in the preseason as well, that ended up in, in an interception. But, you know, the Colts got down in that game, and then they're, you know, well, they, they got up in that game. So it was sort of what we saw last season. They, they got up in that game. They built a pretty nice lead, and then they let it slip away in the fourth quarter when the offense sort of went into a coma in the third and fourth quarters. But even that, they had a chance at the end of the game to win it, and they were just marching that ball down the field with no problem. And then, unfortunately, a guy that you rely a lot on, uh, Jack Doyle, gets tackled and stripped, and the ball bounces right to the, the Cincinnati defender, and he returns it for a touchdown at the end of the game. And so, you know, the the Colts lose. And it, it stunk. Bad way to, to open things up. But there were some good things there. Um, I, I liked the Colts' running backs. They weren't particularly effective. In that game, didn't have a you know didn't have a very high average on their carries, but I, I do see some things that I, I like from it. Um, we saw some decent Ryan Grant. We got a touchdown from Eric Ebron. So so that made the Colts own one to start things out. They avoided the O and two start with a very unexpected road win against the Redskins. Now. No one's going to tell you that the Washington Redskins are a fantastic and great football team because they're they're not. They're sort of middle of the pack. But, you know, in a road game and week two, Colts not looking, you know, terrible against Cincinnati, but certainly not looking great. If you were to say that Andrew Luck was going to throw for 179 yards and that the Colts were going to throw, that he was going to throw two interceptions and that Alex Smith was going to pass for 300 yards, almost 300 yards, you know, you, you would probably say, well, okay, I don't think the Colts would win that game. But they did. They dominated the Redskins, 21-9. to And the game that, that I think that is sort of the blueprint of what the Colts would like to be in some respects. They didn't run the ball super effectively, but they ran the ball well enough at times in this game, especially Jordan Wilkins, 
that they they had a respectable run game. They made plays when they needed to. But what we really saw, and you can talk about offense all you want in this game, but what you really saw in this game was the defense. The defense was phenomenal in this game. And specifically, Darius Leonard, who was credited with 19 total tackles, a sack, you know, um, he had a pass defense, and he, he was just all over the place. I think he had a forced fumble in that game as well, a key strip at the end of the game. So, you know, it it was a, a great game for the Colts' defense. Clayton Gathers had a good game, too, there. He had 12 tackles, although not nearly as many unassisted tackles as Leonard, who was all over the place, and lives up to his name of being a maniac. But I, I don't think anybody would have expected that the Colts would, you know, have a couple of turnovers and Luck wouldn't even throw for 200 yards and that the Colts on the road would have a very convincing victory. The defense only gave up nine points. The Colts scored 21. They win that game 21-9. to On the road, suddenly you're starting to, starting to feel a little bit better about this football team. You're like, well, okay, maybe... Maybe they just kind of had, a, a you know, some bad luck against the Bengals in week one. Maybe this team's a little bit better than we think they may be. You, you saw sort of the blueprint of what the Colts would like to do. I think they would have liked to have been a little better on the offensive end. Defensively, you saw everything come together. The young players on defense dominated this game and made life difficult for Alex Smith and that Washington offense. That was really pretty cool to see. And I, I did not necessarily expect that. I don't think anybody did. I don't think anybody saw that win coming. And what it really reminded me of was a game, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but the Colts thoroughly dominated a very good 49ers team under Chuck Pagano and a, a few years back. And that was, to me, sort of the blueprint of what we would see from this Colts team. You, you saw this aggressive defense. You saw this efficient offense. And they were able to run the ball. That was like the week after they'd made the Trent Richardson trade. And so they had Trent Richardson and Ahmad Bradshaw just running all over the 49ers. They, they did ball control offense. And they had a very good defensive performance. For fans who were a little uneasy with the Pagano-Grixon era... It was the first time that we saw a game where like, ah, that's the blueprint. That's the vision for what this football team is going to be. Now, we never saw another game like that the rest of the time of that era with Grigson in the front office and Pagano at coach because the rest of the time it was just, well, now we need luck to throw the ball, you know, a million times a game and get down by 20 points in a game and come back and win it at the end because that's what those teams did up until last year in which they would dominate the first half of a game, have a lead, and then, you know, cough it up at the end of the game because that's what last year's team did. And we never saw a defensive performance like that from the Colts ever again. But th that was the vision for the team. And you thought, okay, this is this is what they want to do, and then you didn't ever see it happen again. So with, with that game against the Redskins, I kind of felt the same way. This is kind of the way that they would like to play. If, if they need Andrew Luck to throw for 300 yards in a game, they'll do it if it's something that is required. If they don't have to have Andrew Luck throw the ball 60 times in a game, that's fine, and they can win because the defense is going to 
bend and gives up some yardage, but they're never going to break. That's what we had in that, that Redskins game. The offense was not great, but it was efficient and made plays, timely plays, when needed. The defense was smothering. I mean, Washington couldn't get much going at all. Yeah, they got some yardage, but, you know, they ran the ball for three yards a carry, and uh, most of that was Jamison Crowder. Adrian Peterson carried it 11 times for 20 yards for a meaty 1.8-yard average. They, they were smothering. That defense was all over the place, and they, they did a really good job. And, and they didn't even really have any turnovers. They didn't have any interceptions, I guess I should say. They did have a couple of fumbles. Darius Leonard forced a fumble in that game. You're, you're feeling a little bit better about the Colts having after the Washington Redskins game. Now they've got to go on the road again the next week. Same division, Philadelphia Eagles this time, the defending world champs. You know, this is another one that got away from them. They had a chance, they had two chances, really one good chance and one living on a prayer chance to win that game. And unfortunately, on a fourth and goal situation, that just the left tackle, I think it was Clark, just let a guy go right around him and sack luck. And, you know, that was that. Although the Colts did get another stop and they had a chance with a Hail Mary, which is not a high percentage chance, but you never know. You at least got to give it a shot, right? They, they lost that game 20-16 to and... I think the thing that kills about that game is they really had a chance there where they were efficient on offense when they needed to be against the Redskins. They were not against the Eagles. They had the ball so many times in the red zone and had to settle for field goals. They turned the Eagles over twice on that side of the 50-yard line and had the ball in, in prime opportunity and prime positions to get touchdowns, and they did not produce. We had some dropped balls. Chester Rogers dropped a couple in the end zone. I think Ebron couldn't get to one in the end zone as well. And so as efficient as the team had been in the Washington Redskins game with fewer opportunities, when they had more opportunities against the Eagles, now granted the Eagles have a very good defense, the Colts could not get it done. And so this was very similar to the Redskins game, except the Colts didn't come through on the offensive end. I mean, Luck threw for 164 yards and one touchdown. Got sacked a couple of times, didn't have any interceptions. It was his first game of the season without an interception. You just feel like that was a, a missed opportunity. They, uh, they got a couple of turnovers and they couldn't turn them into anything. At the end of the game, they had chances. They had a chance to win that game and walk away with, you know, a difficult road victory. And I don't think Philadelphia is as good of a team this year as they were last year, and that remains to be seen. We'll have to see. They had not been playing great. It was Carson Wentz's first game back from knee surgery, so, you know, he had to shake a little bit of rust off. The Colts' defense played pretty well in that game, except for the one drive that, you know, lasted longer than the Ten Commandments movie. And that that was just a miserable drive just never ended you're not going to blame a game on the officials for sure but it, it does stink to make a stop and then have a penalty some of the penalties were stupid the the pass interference one it was going to be a short pass and the whole concept of the Colts defense is you keep it in front of you the guys behind you come up and make the tackles and those penalties can just absolutely kill you and one of the killers was the the Colts had gotten a sack and then there was a holding penalty. So it was second and 26 for the Eagles. Second and 26. And the Colts get whistled because Nate Harrison grabs a guy 
downfield, and it's a legal contact. So second and 26 all of a sudden becomes first and 10. And the thing is, you know what? It was going to be a short pass. The guy was never going to get behind you and get to the first down. You didn't need to make that play. Let the guy catch the ball. It's not a big deal, but a second and 26 becomes a first and 10. And that was just the start of it for the Colts. And it, it was a penalty. I'm not saying that it wasn't, because in that case it definitely was. And it didn't need to be, because uh, that pass was well short of the first down marker. All you had to do is let the guy catch the ball and try to make the tackle. And if you don't, someone else is going to come up and make it. Because if one thing that I have seen from the Colts' defense is that these guys swarm. They swarm to the ball it, very seldom you know, until unless you get in a one-on-one situation with a guy, but very, and they've been good in open field tackling a lot of them, but very seldom have you seen guys just get tackled by one Colts defender. It's usually three or four guys. They're fast. It is so nice to see a fast defense out there for the Colts. No more Dequell Jackson trying to stay with a tight end downfield. It's 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 great. I love that. And they're young. They, they've made some mistakes. They're going to. But overall, it's been a lot more fun to watch than I thought it would be on the defensive side of the ball. Some of these guys are really coming to their own. Darius Lindard, Kimiko Ture, and Marcus Hunt. My goodness, where did that guy come from? I mean, I know he was on the team and has shown some flashes here and there, but he went from just kind of a guy to this dominant force in the middle of the Colts' defensive line. And nobody, nobody expected that. This is a journeyman guy. Bengals were just willing to part with him, and the Colts picked him up last year, and all of a sudden, he has figured some things out. They've gotten some pretty decent secondary play from their corners, but that drive against Philadelphia just seemed to go on forever. And, and the one that, you know, I, I've, I've tried to look at it, and, you know, I, I guess you could call it, but the, the holding call against Jabal Sheard on that fourth down play is such a weird call. You know, that that's the kind of call that makes you want to throw something because that that's not a call that you would ever expect on a fourth down too. They, they stopped them. They had an incomplete pass and they called defensive holding against a lineman. I saw that called in another game this week. and said, Oh, well, I guess it does happen to other teams, but that, that was a weird one to me. Now, I guess what they're saying is that Sheard was taking up two guys and was holding the outside guy, which allowed somebody from the Colts to get around on the outside and put pressure on Wentz and that's that's why they called that penalty but again it's not something that you see very often especially in a critical fourth down situation so you know the Colts killed themselves on that drive with penalties and gave up things when they when they couldn't afford to and, and of course they had a hard time a couple of times getting to Wentz where they had Wentz but you know he's elusive and got out of it you know and then the fourth down play where they don't even get a chance to make a play because on, on the offensive side there at the end of the game where they, they don't even get a chance to try to make a play because the defender gets right around the left tackle and Luck has no chance even to look downfield to try to make a play. Of course, then that, that game also gave us the great debate about Luck's arm strength. You know, why do you bring Jacoby Brissett in at the end of the game to throw the Hail Mary when Luck's been out there the whole game, does that mean Luck can't throw and he's got a noodle arm? And you'll notice that, you know, they, they tried a long pass in this week's game against the Texans and Luck was the guy that threw it. They were a little bit clo- little bit closer, I think, on that one. But everybody knows Jacoby Brissett's got a cannon and can throw the ball, you know, 70 yards downfield. And so they just felt better. I, I just, I don't think, I understood the, the, 
decision on that one. I know that it sort of opens the Colts up to criticism and questions about Luck and, and what he's capable of. But I kind of understand it. It's a low percentage play. Let us keep in mind that Andrew Luck does have a surgically repaired shoulder. We're in the third game of the season. I don't know that it's worth it to have your uh, multi-million dollar quarterback, one of the highest paid players in the league, with his reconstructed shoulder, try to throw the ball as hard and as far as he can downfield in a play that high risk, high reward. To, to have him like throw his arm out or risk it on a play like that at the end of the game against a non-divisional foe, third game of the year, I understood it. I got it. I think the Colts coaching staff also knew that by doing that, that it would create a lot of conversations, not just in local sports media, but national sports media about Andrew Luck's arm and, you know, that can he throw it downfield anymore? All the Colts do is dink and dunk and he can't hit the long throws anymore. And, you know, is this the guy that you want to be your quarterback? And I think they knew that they would have to answer those questions. And it's funny because the next game, you know, unless... After he got in the locker room, Andrew Luck's arm fell off. The Colts aired it out against the Texans. They could get nothing going on the run game at all. They averaged 2.4 yards a carry, 17 carries for 41 yards. Their leading rusher was Jordan Wilkins with 8 carries for 16 yards and a 2.0 average per carry. Their long run was 7 yards. And of course, you know, also circumstances dictate what you do offensively. The Colts march right down the field in the opening possession, scored a touchdown. Offense looks great. You're thinking, hey, this is off to a good start. They stop the Texans. The Texans kind of pin them back deep with a punt, and the Colts are in the shadow of their own goal line in their own end zone, and we have a, a bad snap that results in a recovery in the end zone. The Colts couldn't get, couldn't fall on top of it. You know, in that situation, the safety is much better than giving up the touchdown, but they gave up the game-tying touchdown when things were sort of trending their way in that game, and then things just turned. Uh, they didn't do anything with their next possession. The Texans got the ball back, got down the field, took the took the lead, and then, you know, again, the, the Colts got pinned deep, and uh, with a punt, they got some pressure on Luck, batted the ball away, he fumbled, they recovered it, that led to another short touchdown. So suddenly your 7 to nothing lead uh, that you got right at the beginning of the game has become a 21-7 to deficit. And the offense sort of goes into this coma. And they, they do manage to get an Adam Vinatieri kick right before halftime to, to kind of get things going back. They let the Texans go on a long drive to start the third quarter. Colts get down 28-10. to and things are looking really, really bad. But you, you'll give them credit. They didn't give up. Uh, Naheem Hines was terrific in this game, made a great touchdown catch. Luck hit Ebron for another touchdown. I think it's his third of the year. And then he got Himes again for the game tying touchdown. Well, it wasn't the game tying. It, it ended up being the touchdown that tied the game, but the two-point conversion was actually what tied it. And Chester Rogers got the uh, the two-point conversion pass. You know, they came back, and they came all the way back, forced the game into overtime, and then that kind of brings us back to the beginning of the conversation here at the top of the show, and that's the, the fourth and four, and, you know, do you win? Do you tie? What should you do? You know, there, there's part of me, again, that understands, hey, the Colts were thoroughly dominated in this game. It's sort of a game that they shouldn't have been in in the first place, so, you know, take your chance, try to win it there. That's fine, I guess. I just think that with the, the amount of time that was on the clock, you punt the ball away, you take your tie, 
And it's it's no moral victory. It's no great thing. I mean, fans don't want to go home and see a tie game. But I think fans would rather see a tie game than a loss where you have pretty much given the other team the ball in very good field position, knowing that they only needed a field goal to win. I, I just did not like that decision at all. And, I, you know, there's going to be people who support that decision and think it's the greatest thing ever and that, that there is no question about it. And, th- and that is fine. I mean, we all have opinions about sports and our teams and we love to watch our teams, we love to debate these things. And, you know, maybe you tell me that going for a tie is a loser mentality. Well, that's fine, but going for the win ended up with the loss. So which one's the loser mentality? That's what you have to keep in mind. It was a risk, it didn't pay off, and so that makes it a bad decision automatically, right? Well, no, that lacks nuance as well. It's not cut and dried either way. You, You can look at that both as a good decision or as a bad decision. I just happened to, having weighed all the other factors, feel that it was a bad decision at that point in the game. That doesn't mean you never go for it on fourth down, but when you're on that side of the field, in that field position, and the other team just needs a field goal to steal the win on the road, you're at home, by the way, against a divisional opponent where that tie could be you know, if the Colts do put together some better performances, a a tie could be very valuable in a playoff picture. It's certainly better than a loss. And and a win would be great, but I didn't like the matchup with Chester Rogers. I didn't like the play call. I didn't like the way they approached it. And as I said at the top of the show, I'll reiterate it one more time. If you're going to go for it at 4th and 4 in that situation, then why not go for it on 4th and 2 and have that riverboat gambler mentality that we're going to win the game when you have it in much better field position that would challenge the Texans a lot more because it's really the same decision if you think about it. At both points of the game, things are tied, okay? The difference is the field position, the area of the field that you're on. In the fourth and four situation, the Colts are at the 43-yard line, their own 43-yard line, which means, you know, a 10-yard pass and you're within an NFL kicker's range. A 5-yard pass, you're within range, but, like, once you start get around the 30-yard line, then that really starts to be a much, much more makeable kick. And they settled for a 44-yard field goal when they were on the Texans' 25-yard line. Again, I'm thinking of field position and what's, you know, the lower risk. And to me, that would be going for it on their 25 for a fourth and two. Of course, they, they never should have been in fourth and two in the first place because Marcus Johnson, who made pretty much the same catch on second and ten for eight yards to make it a third and two, you know, they went to him again, pretty much the same type of play, and he couldn't handle the pass and dropped it. And so then, you know, yeah, it's time to time to kick the field goal, which I understood at the time. But in hindsight, when you look at what they did on the fourth and four, you're like, why not just go for it there? You know, make make the Texans earn it. And I don't feel like the Colts made the Texans earn it by turning the ball over on the 43-yard line. All right, I'm sick to death of of talking about that. So what does this really all mean for the Colts? I can tell you, even though they're 1-3, that I've enjoyed watching this team more now than I did at any point last season, or even the previous couple of seasons. I think Luck's fine. I think he showed that when he threw the ball 62 times against the Texans. It would be best if he didn't have to throw the ball 62 times in a game, but he did. He held up. Uh, he was pressured very much in that first half, but in the second half, the Colts really got their protections together. 
He finished 40 for 62 for 464 yards and four touchdowns. Didn't throw an interception. Did have the fumble that uh, was definitely unfortunate and really hurt the Colts. Uh, a couple things coming out of that game. T.Y. Hilton left with what they called a chest injury. Then he came back, and then now he's got a hamstring injury. I don't know if he'll play against the Patriots. And, of course, probably by the time you will have listened to this podcast, that game will have been played. Uh, the Colts will have won or they will have lost, and T.Y. Hilton will have played, or he may not have played. It's just difficult to say uh, what the deal is going to be with this football team. But for the first four games, I have seen a lot more good than bad, especially for a team that I had very low expectations of. And, you know, to win that Washington game in when Luck did not have a dominant performance... But to see the defense and to see the performances you got out of that defense, you know, that is awesome. And Darius Leonard, my goodness, second-round pick, you know, nailed that one. The The other three games that they lost were all games that they could have won. And and that's the thing, you know, we'll play this game, oh, they could be 4-0, they could be 3-0-1. The long and short of it is that good football teams find ways to win those games. And in the past, when the Colts have had pretty decent football teams... They have found ways to win those games. Crappy football teams find ways to not win those games. They don't get the score. They fumble the ball on the game-winning drive. They give up a sack on a fourth-and-goal situation. They give the other team's offense a chance to win the game because the defense can't get off the field thanks to a bunch of penalties. They go for it on fourth-and-four and don't get it and let the other team have the game-winning field goal. So that's what separates good teams from bad teams. Good teams make those plays. They make good decisions and things turn out well for them. That is what a good team does. Bad teams make poor decisions and they have things that don't break their way. And you're like, oh, well, they were so close this week. Well, a good team wins those games. They don't lose those games. Bad teams lose those games. And until the Colts can prove that they can win in those situations, as they have throughout Andrew Luck's career before the injury, until they prove that they win those games and that they can come up with those big plays, and instead of just getting oh so close that they win those situations, then they are a bad football team. Because you are what your record says you are, as the famous football maxim goes. And the Colts are a 1-3 and three football team. They could be 1-2-1. and, two and one. They could be 3-0-1. and, oh and one. They could be 4-0. Oh. They could be 2-2. Two and two. But the reality is none of those things. Woulda, coulda, shoulda doesn't do anything. What they are is 1-3. and three. At the bottom of the AFC South, having lost to a divisional foe at home in week 4, facing a short week in which they may not have T.Y. Hilton. They're not going to have Jack Doyle. I don't expect Costanzo to play. I don't know about Marlon Mack. There's part of me with those two players. They, they did have limited practices before the Texans game, and I thought that maybe the Colts were going to hold them so that they would have them for the Patriots game, but I just don't know what to expect injury-wise. I, I just I don't know what we're going to see from this football team on Thursday night. You know, uh, they had some stupid story on NFL Today, or I think, yeah, I think it was a CBS show, where they were talking about how the, the Patriots were down and down and out and off to a bad start. And I'm just like, have you watched football for a decade? The New England Patriots, you know, yeah, they almost went one undefeated one year, but they've gotten off to a slow start a couple of times. 
in their lifespan of the, the Tom Brady and Bill Belichick era. Do you think a 1-2 and two start means that the Patriots are going to miss the playoffs? I'm sure they've got deficiencies. I've not gotten to watch them play. Okay, I'll get a good look at them on Thursday night. But it's the New England Patriots. Even if the personnel isn't what they want it to be, or their defense isn't where they want it to be right now, or you think you can run the ball against them right now, or their offense doesn't have the playmakers that they want, they're going to find a way to get it done. They may not win the Super Bowl this year, but they're going to be looking into the playoff picture. You're going to have to factor them in for that. You know, some people were like, well, the Patriots are dead. And then they won. They, they beat the, the Dolphins 38-7. to I mean, come on. Let's use our heads here. It, it's fun, I guess, to get the, the, the tongues wagging a little bit about New England and is Belichick done and is Brady done is the honeymoon over for these guys after the Super Bowl loss last year. But my goodness, it's the New England Patriots. They've, they've been... Uh, the dominant team in the football landscape for 15 years now. Uh, longer than I ever want to remember, the New England Patriots have been relevant. And I hate it. I cannot stand them. They're always around. Actually, it's been, what, 17 years. They won in 2001. Back then, they were the underdogs, and everyone thought that was kind of cool. If only we had known what was going to happen then, right? Right? I, I just don't know what we're going to see from the Colts on Thursday night. I don't know who's going to play, who's going to be healthy. I, I do feel like uh, they got some decent pass protection on the edges in the second half of that Texans game. You know, Clowney and J.J. Watt were all over the place still. They had some stupid turnovers. The, the bad snap and, you know, getting a strip sack as well inside the 10-yard line. I mean, just made things so easy for the Texans and... That's the last thing you want to do when you're the home team. Make things easy for the road team. But what have I seen that's been good? Obviously, I, I have loved what I've seen from Darius Leonard. And for the most part, yes, they don't make the big stops every time. But that defense goes at it. I mean, the Colts are second in the league in sacks right now. And this is a team that was last last year. Could not rush the quarterback to save their lives. Now, yeah, so Deshaun Watson escaped a couple of times. And Carson Wentz escaped a couple of times, but they are reliably putting pressure on teams and they're doing it with their, their front guys. And then they are occasionally bringing, you know, a well-timed blitz as well. And they're getting some, some stuff from Ture that I, I think he's a little ahead of his development on that, you know, from his perspective. And they're, they're getting some production from that guy. And then Marcus Hunt, he didn't have a great game against the Texans, but I think they may have game. I think that got to the point where you had to start the game plan for Margus Hunt, which is a hilarious thought. And they did. But then Danico Autry, who was back from injury, had a really nice game for the Colts. Was one of those guys that flashed on defense. Darius Leonard didn't have a great game against the Texans. I mean, it was ne nothing on the level that he had. That Washington game was the take notice game, and he followed it up with a pretty good game against the the Eagles. And his numbers were good. I just don't think he was as big of a game changer as he was in some of the other games this year. He still had 13 tackles, eight solo, had a sack, uh, you know, and some tackle, uh, 1.5 tackles for loss, according to the, the stats here. So, you know, he's all over the place again. And I thought they got a nice game from Anthony Walker. So the linebacker play has been a little bit better than maybe we expected it to be. And they've gotten some good, they, they, we've seen some good things from the defensive line as well. And if you're solid up front, you know, we thought that perhaps the strength of this Colts defense would be on the back end in the secondary with Matthias Farley and Clayton Gathers and Malik Hooker. And those guys have played okay 
they've made the tackles when they've needed to, although Hooker did get beat a couple weeks ago for a really big touchdown. That should not have happened. You know, when you're the deep safety, you need to be the deep safety, not the guy who's letting the uh, receiver run past you. But, you know, that happens sometimes. Pierre Desir's been really good for the Colts. Kenny Moore, I, I think, has been good at corner. He's made some really nice open field tackles a couple of times, which you don't always expect corners to make in this day and age. Unfortunately, I think he left the game with a concussion. Their injury report is a mess right now. You know, a lot of that starts back with Jack Doyle and Costanzo being out. He's not Dallas Clark because Dallas Clark was a dynamic playmaker and Jack Doyle is not a dynamic playmaker. But he is steady as it goes. And you just know that the Colts quarterbacks, when Doyle is out there, rely on Doyle because... When you've got your third and five, that's the guy that's going to get you your third, you're going to get you your six yards and your first down. He's just that guy. And the offense has looked a little lost without him out there, but they, they got together last week. I mean, we got some performances from some guys that uh, I did not expect last week. You know, Nimes led them not in receiving yards, but in receptions with nine, had a couple of touchdowns. Zach Pascal. Where did that guy come from? Six catches for 56 yards. Marcus Johnson, you know, unfortunately had the the big drop that kind of ended up being the determining factor in this game, in my opinion. Chester Rogers had a nice game, eight catches for 85 yards. So where we thought the Colts would be deficient would be in other playmakers around Hilton. And I, I think that that still stands out. We haven't had anybody really pop off a big game, although Pascal... I thought had a nice game. They've got to get Naheem Himes out in space. I hate that term, in space. In space! But they've got to get that guy the ball more because he can do it. I don't know if that's uh, wheel routes, swing passes, screens. They, they've got, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind if they just put the guy in the slot and let him run past a linebacker and try to get downfield or, or have him go along the sidelines. They've got to get that guy more involved. Tight end has not been a great position for the Colts with Doyle out. Ebron makes, you know, the big, can make the big catch in the end zone, but some of the other catches, you know, that you need from Doyle, those tough, gritty, over-the-middle the stuff, to me, Ebron hasn't proved that he can get those catches yet. Grant has been steady, but not great when they've needed him. I think he's kind of going to be Mr. Third Down for the Colts with Doyle out. Uh, running game's not been great, uh, but then, you know, they've got two rookie running backs, and they're the primary guys. And the other guy that they have is Marlon Mack, who is banged up again and has not played but in one game. And, you know, he's not uh, between-the-tackles type of runner anyway. He's not your, your bell cow type. I think that's going to end up being Wilkins. Mack is more your explosive get-around-the-edge type of guy. That, yeah, okay... You just lost five yards doing a bonehead thing, but then on the next play, you just went 25. That's what you get from Marlon Mack. Uh, it would be nice to, to have a steadier running game. I'd take a lot of pressure off, but, you know, they are uh, what they've got. And the offensive line has not been great. They have definitely struggled. I mean, on a really key play last week in, in the Texans game, Jadavian Clowney just pinballed Quentin Nelson, you know, the Hall of Fame All-Pro guard that the Colts drafted who's a rookie who's going to be very good he's had a pretty good season so far but 
that one particular play, he got bounced around, just clown just threw him aside and, and made him look silly. But you, you do feel they're they're fairly steady there in the middle of the line between Slauson and Kelly and Quentin Nelson. And then you just don't know what you're going to get on the edge. You know, they put Joe Haig there. He was all right, but now he's got a bad ankle and he's on the IR and they want him to come back maybe later in the season. And so they've just kind of had to go with guys on on the ends of that offensive line. And that is... That is not what you need. You don't need just guys on uh, the ends of your offensive line trying to hold out those outside pass rushers. No big predictions. I'm not going to say the Colts are going to, you know, miraculously rise from the grave and go 13-3 and and, you know, win the division or make the playoffs or anything like that. If they can string together a few wins here and keep fans interested, I think that's probably the best that we can hope for. I heard a lot of observers say that the Colts would be around a 500 team this year and I really haven't seen anything to dispute that I think one of the predictions was that the Colts would win two games this year well they're halfway there already through four games I think they're a better football team than two wins but they did let some slip away here they could have already had two wins this season they really could have you know play here play there you know you you don't let the guy come and sack luck on a fourth and goal you know you don't fumble the ball while you're driving against the Bengals. Maybe things do turn out differently. But as it goes back again, bad football teams find ways to lose these games that they should win. Good football teams win them. And until the Colts prove otherwise, they're a bad football team. And that doesn't mean they're totally unwatchable. And it doesn't mean that there aren't some good things that I have seen from the team. It just means they're not going to win a lot of games because they haven't shown us that yet. So that's kind of my first quarter Colts review of the season so far. One and three with losses to the Bengals, the Eagles, and the Texans to those losses at home. They did get that surprising road win in a dominating fashion against the Washington Redskins, and that is their one win of the year. But uh, one more thing, you know, I think Luck's fine. I thought he looked good against Cincinnati. And he did not have great games against the Redskins, but he didn't need to have a great game, and he didn't have a great game against the Eagles. That is a tougher defense. He didn't have tremendous game against the Texans for the most part, but then they really turned it on in the second half. And not only that, he was able to get the ball downfield. And I think after that whole Hail Mary thing in the Eagles game that you know people wanted to see if, he could throw the ball downfield, and he finally hit some big passes. I, I will say, even though he didn't have big completions to T.Y. Hilton earlier in the season, T.Y. had gotten past the defender. Luck had gotten the ball to him, and a couple of those have resulted in some pass interference plays, which sort of show up as hidden yardage uh, you know, for the offense. And then one, he really nailed him on a sideline, and Hilton dropped the ball and went right through his hands. You know, I like what I've seen from Luck. I hope they can do a little bit better job of protecting him, and I hope they can run the ball a little bit better. You know, when you run this cover two scheme, this cover two buck that the Colts ran under Dungy as well, sometimes your defense does give up these long drives. And not just long in terms of amount of field, but long in terms of you can grind it out against these teams. You get four yards here, five yards here, keep the drive going, keep the drive going. You know, suddenly you've the other team's had the ball for eight or nine minutes, or sometimes in the case of the Eagles, 11 minutes. But I have seen some good things from the defense. I think the linebackers have made some plays. 
and Darius Leonard has been a revelation. We've seen some really nice performances, individual performances on the defensive line, and, you know, we'll just have to see where the rest of the season takes us. So that will wrap it up for this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Statomatty, S-T-A-T-O-M-A-T-T-Y, or send me an email, matt at mattadamswriter.com, matt at mattadamswriter.com. Thanks for listening.